Hello, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending Friday the 18th of November. Coming up on the podcast this week, you'll hear us talk about what do you do when there's an unexpected knock on your front door. And Dr. Claire Corbold, Associate Professor at Deakin University, was in to talk about the recent outcome of the US midterm elections and what Trump has in store for 2024. How long is too long to stay on a friend's couch? We discussed that and a baby elephant was born. Mm. So we chat to Lucy Trulson from the Melbourne Zoo. We speak to satirist and performer James Schleffel about the chaser and shovel and which has recapped the year that was, and we break down the common courtesies of card writing. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. I was having a nap yesterday and someone knocked on my door and, and woke me up. And then, of course, when there's a knock at the door, Winnie goes crazy. Uh, I was a little slow to get up and so they knocked again. Now, I live in an apartment building, so if anyone's knocking on my door, it means that they live on my level. Mm. Like, otherwise I'll get buzzed. Uh, so eventually I got up and by the time I'd opened the door, they'd gone to the next, uh, my neighbour. And I heard them explaining to them, uh, they apologised to me, They're like, oh, sorry, we've just moved in, but we don't have a remote for the garage. Um, but they've obviously got their car in. They're like, can we borrow your remote to get out? Uh, and thankfully, my neighbour's like, yeah, okay, and I just went back in. But I'm thinking until they get a remote, they're going to knock on our door every, every time. single time. <laughs> Did they give any indication of... I didn't stick around to no, find out. straight back to bed. I just shut the door and got the hell out of there and hope that they don't do it again. I'm sure they will, though. <laughs> but now that my neighbour has been nice enough to help them out... I actually didn't have a remote at the time because Abby had it, so I wouldn't oh. have been able to help. We only got one for the house. Anyway, um, but, yeah, it was... Unexpected, because as I said, if someone knocks on your door, then it is is someone that lives on your level. Our intercom that we have is so unbelievably loud, mm. it scares the crap out of me every single time. But I don't want to fiddle with an intercom because mm. what would be worse is if it didn't work and I had to go downstairs and let them in every time. My dad moved into a brand new apartment and his intercom didn't work for six months. <gasps> And I'm just like, have you, have you told someone about this? Like this is, you should get this fixed. And I've spoken about this briefly. I worked in body corporate for a short period of time, but that was one of the intercoms in apartment buildings is one of the main issues that people constantly have. Um, and a lot of the time they'll be uh, either you have to fix it, it has to come at your own cost, or if there's an issue with multiple apartments that have the intercom, then they have to go through every single intercom and do like a they just have to make sure that everything's oh. okay it is such a long <laughs> and annoying process um my dad's one works now in i mean and so it should it was a brand new apartment mm. um but it took a while i was like have you contacted someone and he did and they were kind of i don't know because he was yeah he was one of the first people in the building no one else complained about it and he just yeah it, it took a while um but i I went to a friend's place on AFL Grand Final Day and I buzzed and she said, no worries, I'll come down and get you because hers didn't work as well. I think you get used to it. Like people <sighs> whose buzzers don't work. They just accept it. Yeah, it's just mm. been like that for so long and they come down. And she, you know, had a, a number of people coming over or, and all kind of arriving at the same time but not the same time. So she had to go down every single time. I just remember sitting there and just like, oh, my God, this would be so annoying. So... I think with my intercom, I would prefer to get startled every single time than try to adjust and go the volume. Down the stairs. Then have to yeah take the elevator do you, downstairs. How I mean, when it goes off, do you 
is it like your nerves are shot? You're like, <gasps> you know. Every time. And <laughs> even when I know, like someone's like, hey, I'm five minutes away. I'm like, okay, still. <laughs> yeah. Too, wow. Wasn't loud. expecting that. <laughs> really, it would just. That's too much. I mean, yeah, that's a shame. There's no volume control. It's weird in this life that things aren't calibrated. Yeah. You know, like dim switches for light, but for sound. I don't know. Dim, I find dim switches to be too much uh too much choice. Too much control. Control. I just want it on or off. Yeah. yeah. And then once you, we, we got a, I remember we, we have one light that has a dimmer switch on it. And I was like, oh, this is so good. This be, And I just never use it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We should put a lamp on instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting, uh, as it happens, my intercom attended to today for the first time, like ah, six years. No way. Yeah. Because I'm your dad, basically. Oh, really? And also that party situation, you, a doorstop down the front. I was thinking that. I've been <gasps> to people's places like that where they just, Find a way to leave the door open. Mm. And it's just it was... a temporary half hour ajar and if situation. You're late, well, you're not, I'm sorry, you're not allowed in. Exactly. Anymore, yeah. These were um, electronic doors that open, you know what I mean? Oh, like so sliding, like sliding doors. Like, yeah, so it's not a door that you push open, it's automatic doors where you have to get in front of it, but only if you yeah. can buzz. So I don't know that they would have been able to do that. Mm. But Still, absolutely. though, I'd chuck a doorstop in no. and then you yeah. Just, yeah. and then the electronic system could sort – if it wants to try and jam and, like, expand <laughs> and, break and close – the doors it, and it would cause them to come and fix everything. That's right. Well, want. that's true. I've yes. been thinking of being uh, a vigilante because, as you say, <laughs> you can't get your intercom fixed unless everyone's is broken. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just – it can be very tricky and time-consuming. And I just want to – Break everyone's intercom. Put on the year 95, yeah. get a baseball bat and make it everyone's problem. <laughs> Great. And that sentence in isolation could apply to so many things. Um, are you saying the loud, loud doorbell is a problem? Mine is quite loud as well. Mm. Um, but it's obviously a small house, so a lot of the time I'm like, you don't need to ring it. Like, I can hear you open the gate. And, um, right. But we got takeaway last week. And used a popular delivery service that I never like to use, but I put my back out. And Will was very busy, so he's like, okay, you know, I'm not going to mm. go pick it up. I'll just order it. Mm. Rocked up, but we didn't know because uh, they didn't ring the doorbell. Uh, and usually the dog goes crazy. Yeah. Um, but they, I don't know what they did, they snuck in or something, and maybe yeah. it was muffled by the sound. Left it at the door, left pizza at the door. And then there was a point where we were like, oh, it's taken a while. And he's, and he's like, oh. They, it's been sitting out there for twenty five minutes. You're kidding and me! They didn't knock. Or didn't knock and ring the doorbell. Nothing. Yeah, you know, I was walking Winnie the other day, and I saw a driver right in front of me go put stuff at the door, and then just didn't knock it. And I kind of just looked and did the double take. I was like, "Are you? Did they not? Yeah." And then he just got in his car and left. I'm like, "I don't think they know that the food is there." It's bad enough for I a should parcel, have the but when it's when <laughs> not your job, Bobby's no. fine. <laughs> But yeah, when it's when it's when it's food, when it's my dinner, then I've got to put pizza, takeaway pizza, in the oven. Mm. I suppose they're not paid to stick around and be polite. And they do they assume that you're looking at some kind of app. tracking app where every moment is. I mean, even just press yeah. a button and leave. You don't have to stay and say, oh, "Hey, just let you to know." Talk to them. No, no one wants to. Like those days are over. But mm. it's... I, lo- I I love it. I, I, it's <laughs> like, and I know that you've in a situation where it's a last resort. Mm. But it's like, if we're going to like flirt with the inhumanity of this situation, let's just go the whole hog. Yeah, let's just you just, and then you have to, um, you have to eat it cold. You pen. have to have the cold pizza. <laughs> Not even allowed to eat it. Up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but my neighbour knocked on the my door the other day. No, I arrived back. And I had, I don't know why, I had newspapers or whatever in my hands or whatever. Checks I, out. Anyway, I spilled, spilled everything. And um, <laughs> they were. Out. 
<laughs> and my keys dropped. I'm like, oh, Mr. Hart. So I've got to be out of here. <laughs> and um, they thought that their cat was in my apartment. Oh. Mm. What, did thought... it get over from a balcony? You don't have a balcony, do Well, you? no. And so, because uh, they could hear it meowing. And I'm like, the cat's not there. I left at like 2.30 a.m. this morning, you know. Mm. and uh, But it was... B- and I, I was like, oh, maybe it's my neighbour. And she goes, well, we've checked, I'll say Stephanie. And I felt like she was shaming me for not knowing my neighbour's name. Oh. But, <laughs> but this new cat had wandered into my neighbour's apartment and was trapped. Oh. And so I was going, meow. Oh. And the owner was on the outside waiting for the my neighbour to get home, oh. which could have been hours. Yeah. Mm. But I was like, look at this little community you've all got that I'm iced out of. <laughs> With the dust settling on the midterm elections in Donald Trump last night, having announced his candidacy for a second term as president, we're joined to talk US politics by Associate Professor at Deakin University, Claire Cobalt. Welcome, Claire. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, can you tell us what's taken place in the, this week in the in US politics? It's never a dull day. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, contrary to most pundits' expectations, the Democratic Party has done very well in these midterms. Mm. Historically, the midterms are when... People flex their muscles and the party that's in the White House loses its uh, often its majority at a lot of ground. And they were widely tipped this year to lose 30 seats in the House and the Senate and instead they've hung on to the Senate, only just, but they've done it, mm-hmm. and lost perhaps five seats in the House. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's been a remarkable, really, a remarkable campaign and victory for Biden. And, um, you know, they probably have lost the House, but... Hanging on to the Senate's really key for them, and uh, it's a real. I think it's a real feather in Biden's cap. I think he's been underestimated once again, um, and I can go on to talk in great detail about any <laughs> aspect of this. Well, not any aspect, but any anything you'd like to follow up on. But I think what we're seeing is the really key importance, and I think people are underplaying this actually of abortion as an issue in the United States. The exit polls are consistently telling us that seven to ten, seven out of ten voters named abortion as the single most important issue for them in deciding who to vote for, and I think Biden picked that. So during the campaign, mm-hmm. he banged on about this being a referendum on democracy against the wishes of a lot of strategists, Democratic Party strategists, who said, oh, it's too egg-heady, it's too abstract, you know, you need to talk about inflation and all of the issues that people always traditionally vote on. And I think he picked that for a majority of women and, in fact, a majority of voters, abortion is really closely linked to this idea that democracy is being eroded and it's worked for him. And actually, that's I think that's good for all of us. Mm. And what about younger voters? Did they play a role? They sure did, yeah. 18 to 29-year-olds came out... OK, I'm going to be a bit of an egghead myself here. In the second highest numbers in 30 years, odd. OK, let me explain that. In 2018, about 31% of eligible 18 to 29-year-olds voted in the midterms. I mean, for Australians who are committed to the idea of compulsory democracy, or compulsory voting, I should say, (laughs) this is kind of devastatingly low, actually. Mm. You know, I wish I could encourage them all to come out and vote, but but this time they've come out in about 27% of those eligible voters. And again, those two figures are the highest since the 1970s. So they're really key. And they they always favour the Democrats. Um, 
over the Republicans and have done again in this election. So that was a really key part of the win for... I say the win, the relative win for the Democrats in mm. this midterm election. Why were the predictions so off? Or was it just hopeful on the Republicans' part? Oh, look, you know, I mean, they're so often getting it wrong, mm. aren't they? I mean, historically, those pundits had, were on a good bet. Um, this is the best result in midterms for the party that holds the White House in 20 years. And in terms of their wins in the states, and here I mean things like governor elections and especially important secretaries of state in the states, that each state also has a secretary of state who is the person responsible for um, overseeing election policy and procedure. And, I mean, that's critically important. The Democrats have had their best win in the states of any party since 1934 in a midterm election. Mm-hmm. So, so as I said, the pundits were on a good thing based on historical trends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, once again, they've got it wrong. Not everybody, actually. If you follow particular people on Twitter who are not necessarily affiliated with the big news organisations, mm-hmm. you three will be sympathetic to this. <laughs> they were, there were plenty of people who did get this quite a bit closer or, mm. in fact, bang on. So the Democrats have lost the House. What does that mean for the next two years? Yeah, it's going to be tricky for them, but because they've hung on to the Senate, they'll be able to um, block any legislation that the Republicans want to bring. Also, the Republicans are ribbon. Uh, so... McCarthy, who has just hung on to a provisional vote for him to be the minority speaker of the House for the Republican Party, he's sorry, the speaker of the House, he has only just won that because the right side, the very rightward side of the Republican Party had brought a challenger to that uh, first vote, Rick Scott, another senator. And um, yeah, it's... they're, they're in trouble too. So it's di- it's going to be difficult for the Democrats, though, to pass legislation that they might want to, uh, but not impossible. Mm. And, I, you know, again, I'm going to sound like a real Biden fangirl here, but he has passed a huge amount of very important legislation in the last two years, way more than f- Trump managed in his four years, for example. Um, the Infrastructure Bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, he's reduced health care costs for the majority of Americans... Um, so the big ticket items that he might want to push through or that his party might want to push through, like codifying abortion um, and making federal legislation that cha- you know, provides a challenge to that Supreme Court decision, um, that's going to be tricky, mm. Mm. but not impossible. Trump's candidates that he uh, uh, supported didn't mm. fare so well and he's announced his candidacy for president yesterday. Where where are we at with the former president? <laughs> he just keeps sucking up the time for all of us, doesn't he? He's, he I mean, he's compelling. Uh, and that, of course, is what brought him to the White House in the first place. Uh, he's, he's great for news. Um, yeah, he, of course, lied in his announcement on Tuesday night US time and said that his candidates did really well. But in fact, as you say, those he backed in marginal or close races by and large have lost and some of them have lost what should have been reasonably safe seats for Republicans. And I'm talking here not just um, House and Senators federally, but also those state elections again. And again, those really important Secretary of State roles. There were five Uh, candidates in close races that he supported and four of them lost to Democrats Mm. in places that, yeah, as I said, Republicans could expect to win. So he's a bit on the nose. 
And um, as I'm sure you've all heard, um, Republican elites and even Fox News and the Murdoch media are turning away from from Fox, from Trump, (laughs) and are putting their weight behind Governor DeSantis of Florida. So Ron DeSantis squeaked a win in 2018 to become governor and then romped it in this time round, 28-point margin or something. He's one of those kind of classic culture warriors. He's declared himself king of the anti-woke brigade or some such, (laughs) whatever that means. But whatever it means, it's resonating with Florida voters. So Fox is putting their weight behind him. And this is interesting because Trump is so on the nose, as I said, but he's announced his intention to run for the nomination of his party to run for president. And it's hard to see anyone beating him. Of Republican voters, and here I'm talking about the ones who actually are involved in the primary, so you've got to be a member and you turn up to caucuses and all of that kind of varied and sometimes arcane processes that take place in each state for um, those who are running for that nomination to get their votes. Of those people, 40% are diehard Trump voters, absolutely diehard. 10% have said that they're independent, they're still Republicans, but they're, they're undecided or independent. And 50%, sorry, let me get this right, 10% are not Trump, but they have still uh, maintained their allegiance to the Republican Party. 50% are, might vote for Trump, might vote for another candidate. Whoever comes up against him has that 40% to deal with. Mm. And that's a huge, huge challenge. So is that plausible that he could win the primary but struggle in the general? Absolutely. And even if someone were to beat him, and the only person who's probably likely to would be DeSantis, and only if the primaries were a one-on-one race, because with those numbers, Trump can divide a field, can triumph against a bigger field. And you can't see Mike Pence you know, energising anyone. And in fact, that 40% hate Mike Pence because he opposed Trump on January 6. He mm. finally found the backbone that had been missing during his four years of vice presidency. Mm. And uh, so he, he won't win it. Um, so, cut. yeah, he could win. Whoever comes out of it won't be able to win mm-hmm. a general election. Right. In my, I'm OK. That was really daft to uh. say that out loud. <laughs> uh, and DeSantis is 44, which is over 30 years younger than the current two. Uh, so... What, what's the rush for him anyway? Good, that's exactly right, Daniel. Like, why why would he mm. put his hand up for a primary that will be terribly damaging for him when he can sit out four years as the governor of Florida and bide his time? Mm. Yeah. Trump rarely talks about policy in his campaign speeches. How much of his support and his base is just based on nostalgia? That's a yeah. That's that's a it's, that is such a um, good question and such a pertinent point. I think. Yeah. Um, and nostalgia for something that so recent may not have actually existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make America great again. He's never been quite specific about what that means, but I think for most of his voters who are, by and large, white, mm. this means some sort of mythical time when uh, they didn't have to think about being white, <laughs> and you know we're not challenged to uh, think about what they can do to make a more inclusive, fairer society. Yeah, Trump received an extraordinary number of votes when he lost re-election, did he not? So what, where are those people going? That's another good question. So he can really bring out the vote. It was 81 million, as I recall. Um, but uh, if he's not the candidate, they don't necessarily come out in the same numbers. Mm. And that's what the Democrats have managed to do in this midterm is bring out a vote um, and we'll see if that happens again. It's Democrats likely to sleepwalk into another 
basket of deplorables mm-hmm. and m- malign 80 million well, people. And I'm, that's why I shouldn't have said anything yeah. quite so <laughs> definite about the result. You just never know what's going to happen in a campaign. And, uh, yeah, so that's quite possible. Actually, what they do face as a real problem is the Senate election in 2024. So senators, you know, there are 100 of them, two from each state. They serve a term of six years. Every two years, 33 of them are up for... other seats are up for re-election. And it just happens that in 2024... That's going to be a tougher 33 seats for the Democrats than for the Republicans. Okay. And just finally, what happens to Nancy Pelosi now? That's a... Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what she'll yet. want to do. Okay. I mean, you know, we're talking about the ages of mm. some of the people. She 80... 80... Early 80s, yeah. yeah. Um, as is Biden, right? So maybe she retires. Yeah, maybe so there might it's... be some generational change occurring that in the next couple of years. Oh, God, there's so much to chew off. Hopefully we can uh, chat again uh, down the line. Claire Cobbold, thanks very much. Thank you. I'd like that. Melbourne's own Triple R. I'm heading to Adelaide in a couple of weeks uh, and by myself. Uh, Abby will be staying here in Melbourne, but she's from Adelaide and whenever we go over there, we always stay with her family. Um, but I am staying with her mum which I'm really excited about. Uh, she's picking me up from the airport. She's going to drop me back. She's like, you can have my car. What would you like to eat on these nights? Oh, wow. It's wonderful. So when I said I was heading over and Abby said, she's like, oh, do you want to stay with your friends or you want to stay with my family? I'm like, uh, yeah, mum, of course. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's the most comfiest, cosiest, loving home I've ever been to, other than my own, of course. How refreshing for your mum to be used in a positive way. <laughs> <I know. laughs> I like that you're reinventing it. Yeah, that was so kind. <laughs> you, uh, you know, you know who's the the coziest lady? Your mum. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, I'm. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we we do have obviously a, a really good relationship, which is which is wonderful because you know I've been in relationships. Prior to that, where and I think if you can just get along with your partner's family, it, it's nice, of course. It's, it's always a positive if you're going to be with your partner for a while. Uh, one of my exes uh, lived interstate and whenever we went back to visit her family, we would always stay at a hotel. Oh, my gosh. And that wasn't my choice. Mm. That was actually her choice. And it wasn't because there wasn't enough room? No. Well, so we, we went back and then uh, we stayed with her family and it was... <laughs> There was just a bit of tension between my ex and her mum. It was very much like a, a, you know, when you grow up and you're a teenager and your relationship that you have with your mum, and the ne- that, that's what it felt like. Uh, but we were complete adults. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, so, all right, yep, sure. Um, and I think we were supposed to stay there for five nights. We stayed for three and then we left and <gasps> got a hotel. Did you leave in a half? Uh, yes, yes. I mean, I said thank you. My partner left in a half, oh. and I was just like, "Thank you so much." Okay, we'll uh, we'll see you for dinner tonight. Um, and then after that, it was just like we're staying in a hotel. It's just mm. more relaxing. Then we could catch up with friends and everything. So when I was travelling uh, with Abby back to to Adelaide, I think because I had done that for so long, I was like, "Oh, so where do you want to stay? Well, I'll have a look at some hotels." She's like, "Well." I've got multiple family options that we could stay with. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, of course, if you're comfortable with that. She's like, are you not comfortable with mm. that? And I guess I just hadn't had that experience. So 
Um, of course, we stay with, yeah, we've got her mum, her sister, her dad. We've got many people that we can stay with and we're really comfortable with, which is great. Um, both my brothers have been in relationships and at some point moved back in with my parents for a, a period of time, maybe three months or six months or something, mm. before they were about to buy a house or travelling or doing something. So they, they went and moved back home. I don't think I would have done that with my partner mm. my mum god bless her was and was just a beautiful wonderful warm person and constantly was asking you know what would you like for dinner mm. when will you be home but I think it was it was too much you know when it's just it's just too much it's like none of your business yeah because yeah, yeah. Mm. N- not none of your business but like, stop with the questions <laughs> and then it makes you so aware that you're a guest Oh yeah, because you're like, oh, I'm clearly in your way because like you're you feel like you have to wait on me. You're not ignore, yes. you're not comfortable enough to ignore me. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And it, it was funny. I think when one of my brothers was telling me, he's just like, oh God, we come home, and Mum's like, oh, are you hungry? Do you want some food? <laughs> uh, can I make you breakfast in the morning? What are you doing? I like, oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and really, it's not. But it's just very much in your face and you know and when they come home from work she was excited to have people back in the house again so she would always ask about their day and they're just like exhausted um it's it's a happy medium trying to get that it's like well you are a guest in the house and you know you're saving some money be polite yeah but you don't want it to be like an event when you open the front door yeah no like you kramer making an entrance and everyone claps and it's like okay do that then that's on you (laughs) yeah uh and yeah now you're answerable to someone i get it you'd Mm. rather sometimes prefer benign neglect yes Mm. yeah completely there's Mm. a ceiling on it too right like if you're traveling and you stay with someone um Mm. like you can't do it for the whole time i think or i can't do it i can't if i say i'm in a city for eight days yeah i wouldn't want to stay on someone's couch for that whole time because no it has an expiry date i think feel you just you become i become so aware some people don't some people just love free accommodation (laughs) Mm. (laughs) put that above everything else Mm. but i know when i first started traveling and i traveled alone for most of my 20s whenever i went i would you know you'd you'd love the chance to stay with someone Mm. i had a couple of cousins living in london i remember staying with them when i first got there um and they were so nice and so accommodating, but they lived, it was like they were a couple then they lived with another couple in this tiny house and I slept on the couch, so I took up their whole living room. Yeah. And as hospitable as they were the whole time, I was just like, oh, like I just felt so uncomfortable about being there, but yeah. also didn't want to fork out the money for London accommodation, so I just stayed. Yeah, right. Probably like four days. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I, I would definitely stay. It's funny you say about people staying at your place who are just so comfortable. <laughs> um, people will do that at my folks' place. They would literally come here from Kiribati, say they're here for two weeks and stay for three months. But oh. mum would love that. Um, but I've definitely had a friend that was like, oh, yeah, I, I think I met them on a on a like a Kentucky tour or something like that when I was travelling. Uh, and they were from Scotland and they were coming over. They're like, oh, I want to come to Melbourne. It's like, oh, great. And they were going to check out a few other things, but then they just stayed I think it was 10 days um and I, I felt the obligation to be like the tour guide for the entire time I just thought I'd be like a base mm. yeah like, yeah you do your thing you can come and stay here it's like no 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 what do you want to do today I'm like oh no it's like yeah you want them to be independent travelers oh completely but I have brothers-in-law who have been way bigger hits with my parents than I ever was oh <laughs> like they'll really? stay in same situation they'll live with them mm. for a chapter or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you'll get in touch with home. It's like, where are they? And it's like 
dad's out with so-and-so canoeing. I'm like, cool. <laughs> never took the, me to do that. They're getting the childhood I never got. Good luck to you. Well, um, Will has a cousin from Germany coming to stay very soon, actually. Uh, and he's going to stay with his parents. And Will's parents live in the, in the burbs and mm. they live a very sleepy life. And I'm just like, if you're coming from across the world to Melbourne, like you are not going to have... Fun, like go stay somewhere fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no offense to them, but I mean, like, if you just want to pot around and watch the news and maybe go to like Hillsville yeah. Sanctuary or something, like that's that's yeah. okay. That's one day sorted. I hate hearing about that. <laughs> well, and then it's like, oh my god, they've gone back to their home country and they're reporting and that's, that's Australia. Yeah. yeah, and then they're like, oh, well, he can come stay with you. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's not what I was suggesting. We have lives and jobs and no spare rooms. So. Mm. <laughs> that's why, like at Fed Square. If I see tourists or whatever and I'm in the background of their photo, oh, my, I start smiling, I'm turning it on. I want there to be a slide night back home. It's like, look at this happy, fun place. We've got to go to Melbourne. Everybody in Melbourne is so joyful all the time. <laughs> this guy, he kept shouting for his dad in a canoe. <laughs> Woo! <sighs> That's right. Triple R. For Feature Creatures this week, we're joined by Lucy Trulson, Melbourne Zoo's Elephant Project Officer. Morning, Lucy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Now, what happened yesterday, elephant-wise? <laughs> yeah, what happened? Just uh, something, something a little bit exciting happened during the night that we've been planning for many years. So the whole team um, just ecstatic to welcome this little female um, elephant to our herd, and that happened around 1am um, and so obviously she's, um, she's been part of our herd for a very short time, but she is uh, just absolutely adorable and the, t- uh, the team and the herd both welcoming her so um, dotingly. So, yeah, very exciting. Now, why is this significant? It's so significant because we made a commitment at Zoo Victoria to, to look after elephants long-term and that was a big decision on our part because we knew that we had an opportunity to give them a, a really, really amazing life. We've got a, an expansion happening at Werribee Open Range Zoo. We're moving them there in 2024 to something that is, um, you know, mind-blowing really. It's a whole, the size of Melbourne Zoo is going to be the space that we're moving them to. So we knew that we had a commitment to them long term, so we knew we had our work to do to make sure our herd was really um, a well-knit um, herd. A, a elephants are matriarchal. They live in the society of, of other females and we've got the beautiful bull elephants as well. So we're really mimicking natural biology with our, with our herd and, and that means um, welcoming these, these youngsters in the herd, so that multi-generational herd. And, and female elephants, they, they look after their young so intently and they all do it. So the whole herd will, will take part in raising these calves that we're, we're going to be welcoming two more, by the way. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's exciting to see natural biology playing out. And this little female that was born, it's so significant being a female especially. Like we welcome any little male or female, but having a female, we know that that female will stay in that herd unit and it brings it even more close together, having, you know, a mother, a daughter and a, and a, and a granddaughter in that group. So it's really... What what's the life like of a of a newborn elephant? I mean, there obviously will be a delay before any visitors to the zoo can see her. Is that right? 
Well, we're just giving the family time to bond and so having a little bit of a quiet space that this little elephant can get used to all the sounds and smells of, of living uh, at Melbourne Zoo and, and then we will give her opportunities to explore the habitat. We did that yesterday and she's going to be meeting all her herd members and, and also the males as well at some point. So um, she will be adored by all our visitors very soon but she will be little for quite some time so there isn't a rush um she's going to be out and about we'll we'll expect that quite soon but we're we're really led by behavior so we want to make sure that they're bonding well and they're all doing well and then we'll open up those gates so people can see them but we've still got our beautiful bulls on display and, and other females that will pop in and out but yeah it, it's exciting times ahead and we as i said we're welcoming two more in the in the coming months so um yeah, we can't wait to see all our fans. Uh, we talk, You talked about the elephant-loving community earlier. I mm. obviously think you're on the way to work, and I, I had a chuckle because that was there in my manager's um, comment, which is true. Like We have visitors that come and wait and will be lining up because they're so invested in, in our herd and the individuals within the herd. Um, so seeing them become mothers is really exciting. What uh, So a human labour can be protracted what's it like for an elephant it, it appeared that this one could fit into a gif <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the labor do you mean yeah the actual, oh my gosh it's amazing i mean i've had two kids but i when i watch uh, actually there's a few of us that have had kids in the team and we would look at each other when we're watching the actual birth and we can almost feel it like oh my god this is uh but quite extreme obviously for an elephant i mean it's all relative these little baby they're generally around 100 kilos when they're born so but it is a um, mind-blowing 674-day gestation that this yeah. little calf um, got to. So, as you said, it's, it's almost 22 months. It's almost two years. So, um, yeah, the birth is quite extreme for, a, for an elephant and it, it, the movement of that calf coming up from the abdomen, basically, up around a bend and out um, through in between the four feet. It's quite a different birth to what, you know, a, a cow or a horse, you know. It's a, it's a different type of birth so um we're always thrilled when we see successful birth mm. absolutely and what sort of maternity ward do you have set up is, is there like a, a wall of mud do they What's get, going do they get a tens machine <laughs> oh look we you wouldn't believe what this team of people that i work with will do we'll go to any length but we really also have a very respectful hands-off approach with elephants we we stand back we set the scene for them so we'll be we'll be getting into those habitats and, and setting them up we use um, big machinery as well like a skid steer to push up sand mounds etc but then we stand back and we let them be elephants and we we set it up so the environment's right for them the social um, unit and structure's right for them and then they know what to do so they the beautiful thing was and we all know what it's um, like to, to sort of into the world of motherhood those that have and, and, and being a father you've got a village around you and you also have the, the midwives and the doctors and all the, all the things that you need but what we had is exactly that we had the mother and we had a support unit around her of other females and they all they all look after her as well and they look after the calf and they it's beautiful to watch so it is a it's a herd event and what can we know about the other two that are coming in uh, december and january you said yeah, so we've got, um, it's, it's actually, it's beautiful. The Dokun is um, the one that gave birth uh, just recently. Then we've got her daughter, Marley, who was the first elephant born at Melbourne Zoo. She's due to give birth next. So what we really are excited about is that she was there when mum was giving birth. She saw the whole event. She's nurturing this little calf. And then she's next due. So mm. that lifestyle experience is really critical. And that's 
by uh, all our planning, it's it's not by default. It's 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 a, it's a plan to make sure that these elephants are getting the appropriate life skills that they require to be successful. So she's next, and then we've got a beautiful um, other elephant, Namoy, who is due. Um, funnily enough, it won't land on this day, but the due date our vets gave us was New Year's Day. So I um, mean, it's a it's we're definitely all. Um, has a t- uh, not a definite at Christmas and New Year's this year, so we're on call, but um, how exciting. <laughs> and who gets naming rights? Well, this is a, a really exciting thing too. So we've got, um, would you believe, 300,000 Zoom members and counting. So it is a, a competition. We've got some names um, that we're going to be supplying early next week, and it is up to the vote of our Vic. Uh, members and donors so they will be voting on that name so if you want to have a chance to vote on it become a zoo member um and we and it's really that how we bond the community together too the elephant loving community (laughs) (laughs) we we they can be part and you can be part of of naming this little calf and and look it's so significant when you see this little little calf land on the ground and and the footage is incredible that we've shared that's a 50 to 70 year lifespan that's landed on the on the sand floor there that these elephants are investing in and and she's going to you know outlive a lot of us but we've got to be honest um but she's the future like we look at elephants and we think the world out there and then conservation is is the name of our game and we want to protect our wild elephants but we want to support the elephants in our care as well and have people be able to see them and learn about them and then care about them and Let's uh, have elephants um, in our world in the future. That's the goal. Absolutely. Well, just finally, how cute is the baby elephant in terms of, of its abilities? Is the trunk, do they come out, you know, being able to, you know, dance around or whatever? Oh, look, yeah, I mean, so cute, by the way, so cute. <laughs> but we're professionals, we're, you know, we're professionals, so that we do tell everyone she's so cute. But she, they do land on the ground and she was standing within a minute. So mm. if you think about elephants and obviously very different to human babies but um they're, they're pretty much born ready to go so um they you know in the wild and, and this is where you see natural biology play out in a, in a captive care setting which is so exciting she lands on the ground she's up and walking within minutes and looking for mum to suckle and moving with the herd and and that's what they do in the wild they have to be ready to, to get moving the next day and um and the you know life doesn't stop for this little little one on the ground she she gets up and she's she follows on so and then they all take care of her obviously so um she is very cute she even um grabbed a bit of sand yesterday watching her mum dust herself she grabbed a little bit of sand and threw it on her body and i was just like i Aww. think i saw that i'm pretty sure i saw that that's that's extraordinary so um she's yeah a little miracle but we um we can't wait to welcome the next two and for you to all see her beautiful yeah. well congratulations <laughs> lucy trulson melbourne zoo elephant project officer and community leader of elephant lovers thanks very much <laughs> thanks so much triple r on fm digital online and via the app James Schleffel is a writer and founder of satirical website The Shovel, performer in live shows including The Anti-Expert's Guide to Everything, The War on 2021, and he's back as part of the Chaser War on 2022 live tour with two shows at the Athenaeum this December. He's also put together The Chaser and Shovel Annual 2022 in stores now. And to tell us about the year of ours that he's collated for our amusement, the writer joins us in the studio. James, welcome back to Breakfasters. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, gee, what a year, huh? 
It's been quite the year, hasn't it? A bit of a different year because we've had two different prime ministers. Um, we've had we've had a pandemic. Um, a lot to work with. Never run out of material at the shovel. No. Uh, what what did you make of? Uh, let's start with politics. Is is Scomo just a distant ghost of a memory? Well, or we we thought that, didn't we? And then he just keeps popping back up, and you find that he's got some kind of new ministry. So we got a wave goodbye to him in May, and then he just kind of came back again. And it was it was a beautiful thing because. Um, He's, he's such a good satirical character. But I think um, perhaps now we have waved goodbye. Um, but look, I, I never lose faith in um, the capacity for Australian politics to get worse, you know. So, like, whenever one of these great characters leaves us, um, there's always someone more, you know, someone better around the corner. So, yeah, yeah I, I think we're... Who's, who do you think is on the horizon that looks juicy satirically? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Like, like Peter Dutton's been, been great material for a long, long time. Um, the Labor Party's not kind of doing much at the moment. Mm -hmm. They really need to, to lift their game. Albo's a little bit boring. Um, but, look, who knows? Like, I, I thought that we had reached kind of peak satire when Tony Abbott, you know, knighted a prince. Um, but, look, so much has happened since then. And it, it's it's amazing to think that, you know, this guy that knighted a prince, ate an onion and, <laughs> you know, made himself Minister for Women, Turned out to be only the second most ridiculous prime minister we've ever had, yeah. you know? and no one would have predicted that at the time. So I, I'm I'm very confident that uh, someone will will come forward. Mm. There was a there's a headline in the annual Queen may be dead. Body language expert says. <laughs> what, what did you make of the coverage around all of that? Oh, it was just ridiculous, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> very sad that the Queen died. Obviously, very important to a lot of people, but. Um, but the the ABC coverage in particular, but I guess all of the networks just kept going on and on and on. And we um, did a few articles to to kind of, I guess, um, parody this. Um, we did one article, I think it was um, uh, a man who had a 30-minute conversation with the Queen in 1964, you know, inter by the ABC for two hours or something, and then it just became it became evident that, that it wasn't ridiculous enough because so many of the actual stories were were even more ridiculous than that. So in the end, we just had to do something about uh, a woman who was interviewed about her connection to the Queen because she had a queen size bed, oh, you know, yeah. and that was. That was kind of the level that we're at, I think, um, with the coverage of the Queen by the end. There. Yeah, I also see that Her Majesty uh, politely smiled and clapped through a mind-numbing three-hour opening ceremony to mark her arrival in the afterlife. I yes. think always gracious right to the end. <laughs> uh, now, uh, Qantas as well, travelling. Uh, now, you're travelling with this live show. Yes. Are you are you flying Qantas? A little bit. Um, <laughs> a little bit nervous. We've got a bit of luggage with us. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but I don't know if you've seen this, the new service from Qantas where you can check in your emotional baggage as oh, well right. and then lose oh, that. It's a fantastic service if you've got stuff you just want to get rid handy. of. Might be handy, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, it's interesting. Uh, didn't Alan Joyce uh, lectured us this year, did he not? Alan, uh, Alan Joyce? Uh, we, we, we're out of practice we're flying. We're out of practice flying, <laughs> did, yeah. He did too. He did. Um, he did. And I think... Um, you know, they, they kind of looked at all of the areas of their business um, and, and realised that the common factor with their issues is, is customers. So I think that they're, they're just going to phase out customers. I think that's that's their strategy from now, just phase them out. They did, they did it with smoking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Did it with smoking in the 80s. So no reason why they can't do it with customers. Um, I also, sorry, I just quickly want to ask about Ben Robert Smith. What the hell oh, happened and he's going on? Lovely question. I I have a bit of a soft spot for the Ben Robert Smith trial, which I shouldn't say. I know that's awful to say that. Yeah. And I 
know everyone gets everyone gets really worried about defamation whenever I bring it up. But you know what I say is like. If you look at the actual trial itself, you only just need to quote verbatim the trial and the comedy is there. Like mm. there's, there, there's nothing, you don't need to embellish it, you don't need to exaggerate it. Um, some of the stuff, like some of the character witnesses that he called for himself to, like, to, to vouch for him as a good character, two of them are under investigation for war crimes. One of them turned up to a, um, a fancy dress party in a Ku Klux Klan costume. These are the guys that he's putting forward, and this is a case that he himself kind of initiated. It it is just ridiculous. Um, so we're actually doing a bit of a, a bit of a live reenactment of uh, some of the trial in our in our live oh, show. Oh, really? Yes. Um, which we did have to get the lawyers involved with, but as I said, it's all just verbatim from mm. the trial. So I think we should be okay. How often do people get outraged at your stories, thinking that they're real? They often get outraged at the stories. Um, that's that's just a given, I think, on every single story these days. Um, in terms of thinking that they're real, look, from time to time, not yeah. that often. It's never the intention, I think, to kind of trick people into thinking that they are real, although inevitably, occasionally, that will happen, yeah. Mm. What about uh, you? the people who uh, fund the shovel? Do they ever put in requests? Uh, look, there's a lot of people coming, coming forward with um, ideas, definitely. Some of them better than others, let's say, diplomatically. Um, look, but... You, I, do, you, do you take satirical requests? I, I, yes, <laughs> yes, I do take, take satirical requests. Um, and like I say, like we, there's a lot of them. Um, some of them are some of them are great. And there's, there's lots of different people who contribute from time to time. Um, but, um, but, yeah, it's... it's Look, there's, it's a very specific type of comedy. It so, is. so you know, people will write stuff that might be great, might be really, really funny, mm. but not necessarily the right kind of tone. Yeah. I also, I enjoyed uh, Shaq coming to town this year and weighing in. Oh, amazing. I mean, we didn't realise how, how much we'd missed having a professional basketballer mm. uh, contributing to Australian politics. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it wasn't that great. That's why I like, I also, because we did an exchange, didn't we, with Phil Smythe, went to the US <laughs> and was called for the January 6th hearing. Yes. Oh, brilliant. Yes, um, absolutely. Now, Wayne Kerr, sporting. Now, what do you make of the sporting news this morning? About say the uh, the Brownlow medal count, oh, and, yeah. and, and and maybe even betting in sport more broadly, or or sporting figures. I see Wayne Ke- Carey. Well, Wayne Carey up. did did get a mention this year um, because of, of the white powder that he was found with, which turned out to I don't know if you if you, if you knew this, but it turned out to be sourdough starter. You're kidding? Which is a terrible. Like if you're like an alpha male trying to project that kind of image, no, you don't want people to know that you kind of into artisan bakery. So. Um, that was awful for him. Um, Poor Wayne. Yeah, sports betting um, is, is, I mean, it's just so invasive, isn't it, in everything that we do. It's, it's hardly surprising that people are betting on are the you brand. Gonna, are you going to get sports bet as the sponsor for the shovel? That, that's a fantastic idea. Um, and just, just like have ads like just constantly, like just the whole time just, just as one big ad for sports right. bet and then interrupt it every now and then with something else. Um, and what about UK politics? Has that loomed large for you this year? It's been bigger than normal. Um, it's, it's been good. I look, I don't, I, I kind of, um, it's, it's amazing how things, how quickly things move. I ducked out for a coffee one morning and came back and realised I'd missed the entire Liz Trust Prime Ministership. <laughs> Um, so um, it's been hard to keep up. It's almost like Australia kind of circa, what, 2013. 
Um, I, I saw also Liz Truss popped up because she'll obviously she was there for you know the length of the lifespan of a lettuce or whatever, but <laughs> she's going to be dragged in to attend memorials and all of that. I saw this, yeah, I saw a photo of her. Like those those events where all the former prime ministers turn up mm. and. 45 days of work and she's now got that for the rest of her life. I don't know whether that's a good thing for her or not. I know, you, you work all that time then you end up being a trivia question. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, uh, there was also, if we are going to um, set ScoMo to bed, and I imagine this year in the live show, mm. you, you know, it's the last bite of the cherry that you get for Scott Morrison. There, there's a bit of a send-off. Mm. Um, there's a bit of a send-off. He was um, <laughs> he was an incredible Prime Minister for so many different reasons. Um, and I can see that if you're looking at the page in the, the Shovel Annual where we kind of do a deep dive into his uh, kind of oratory genius mm. um, and... I guess compare him to some of the oratory greats, um, you know, whether that be Martin Luther King Jr. or um, Barack Obama, and just kind of prepare, compare those quotes of his, um, you know, um, what's what's that? What, we'll get there when we get there, or um, yeah, that was beautiful. The sooner we get there, the sooner we get there, the, the sooner, sooner we, we get, get there, there, which was just a piece of oratory genius. I mean, at a time when Australians need to be uplifted as well, like that's that's what he came out with. Um, I don't hold a hose, obviously. Yeah, um, that is an issue for the states. That is an issue for the states. was a, was a was a beautiful one. So um, we are going to look at that in some detail and and just kind of see where he sits on the on the kind of levels of oratory genius. Mm. What about oh, sorry during an election when we drag out former prime ministers as well? Oh, yeah. Well, John Howard, he he constantly is getting is getting um, dragged out. They've got a little kind of a, a breaking case of emergency box, I think, in the Liberal Party headquarters, and they just wind him up, and he runs off and, and says something sexist. Um, <laughs> um, didn't work this year. They no. did it. Didn't work at all. Diminishing so, returns. Yes. Well, negative returns, I would say now. Mm. Um, so um, yeah, I don't know whether we'll see Johnny again. I don't. I think he might have. He might have done it. No. Match. Or Scott Morrison. You know, in the future, do we they never do they ever see. Scott Morrison no, exactly. again, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> now, uh, what about, who's your favourite political analyst? Or, or, you know, or you know, I'm thinking Anthony Green as well. Or Do you do you have favourites in the media? Or who, or who gives you the best fodder? Oh, well, I mean, it's hard to go past, like, you, you kind of like your Sky News desk um, because they are, you know, these great satirists. Um, so, you know, the, the Peter Credlins and... Um, and Chris Kenny's of the world uh, provide a lot of material. Um, but other than that, no, don't, don't play favourites. Just try and, you know, stand back and let yep. everyone contribute in their own way. <laughs> yeah. And and what about COVID as a rule now? Like, it's where are we at with that? <sighs> Look, I think people are sick of talking about it, aren't they? Even mm. though it seems like it's roaring back. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny to think, because one of the things when you do these um, year in reviews, it's a lovely opportunity to look back at the whole year. And we forget what things were like, you know, like back in January, we we're lining up for for rat te- uh, for PCR tests. We couldn't get any rat tests. Um, and so one of the things we do in the show and also in the book is, you know, we can we can kind of we can kind of reflect on all that kind of stuff and go, God, that was that was this year. Mm. Feels like feels like 10 years ago. Do you have rats? Do I have? I, I do. You know what? We went to New Zealand um, on holiday a couple of weeks ago. First time overseas for a long time. 
And when you when you arrive there, they give you these boxes of rats, like fifteen of them. Oh. So like hundreds of dollars worth of rats. Um, and yeah, so they're in my cupboard now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, now you're we're, you're touring. Where are you going? We're going all around the country now. Unfortunately, Melbourne is sold out. Mm-hmm. It's, I, fantastic. Thank you, people of Melbourne. I think um, it says something, doesn't it? That I think people in Melbourne are you know kind of ready to go out and just everything's booking out which is fantastic so if you're in melbourne and you want to see our ndv show please come to newcastle or wollongong or sydney um road trip, road trip. <laughs> yes yeah. exactly um but unfortunately yeah our two shows in melbourne are sold out um but yeah see us somewhere else or you know buy the shovel annual <laughs> buy the shovel annual and read about it where do where can you get the shovel annual great question um you can buy it at the shovel.com.au and just go to the shop link and uh, you'll see it there all right beautiful uh it's the shovel annual 2022 uh the live show's all gone but to head to newcastle if you want to see it james schleffel thanks very much thank you so much triple r I'm putting together a Christmas parcel to send to my brother and his family who live in America. Uh, didn't do it last year, I realised. Anyway, still very thoughtful of me. Um, Gave them nothing? Christmas didn't happen for you? No, it did not. Okay, interesting. But it, hey, it's every second year and it's coming up, so <laughs> good luck to them. Um, normally, you know, I would give them a present and then just put one of those stickers on it to Daniel from Bobby. Mm-hmm. Kiss, kiss, whatever. Um, can't wait for that. Yeah, but I figured... It would be nice to receive a card with a, a lovely message inside. And I haven't done it for a while, but I did that for each of them individually. And I'm, you know, I think I would be excited to get it. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to send it to them. I don't recall the last time. Oh, I guess if it's someone's birthday, um, I will write on a card. Um, but recently I was going into – Abby needed to get her birth certificate, so she asked me if I could get it. It was in – she was at work. Uh, she said, it's in the cupboard on the top shelf in this box of mine. I'm like, okay. So I pulled it out. And as uh, I've looked through the box, I found the birth certificate, but there were cards that I had given her over the years for birthdays and anniversaries, which I thought was so sweet mm-hmm. and made me feel a little guilty. <laughs> because I will keep a card for 12 months. Mm. I think that's enough. And then, I mean, same shit, different year. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so so you're into the bin. Well, yes. You got Otherwise, it's just too much junk around. So you Marie Kondo cards. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Does this expression of love give me joy? Uh, no. <laughs> into the bin. It did a month ago, but now absolutely not. <laughs> now I, I remember <laughs> the first time we met. Ah, done. Known you for years now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. Like I said, it's the first time I've written on a card for a while, but. And, and, and like, a, yeah, re- looking into that box, I'm like, should I have kept? I, I stand by the fact that I don't keep them for more than 12 months. Does that, so I keep, I keep I've got cards from when I was seven years old. Like I keep, I, really? If they're from someone who matters. I mean, if it's, you know, from like someone in your grade four class who just gave Christmas cards to everyone. Yeah. I hate that. Um, but if it's sentimental and yeah, I've got, oh, absolutely. Uh, letters from we wrote to my friends in class and things like that. I've got them all. I got mine confiscated. Like Every the, le- well, no, mine no, no. obviously weren't racy enough. <laughs> no, you know, letters that you just throw and you pass around whilst the teacher's trying to talk. Yeah, I reckon I've got some of them. Maybe we should normalise digitising cards and letters. So no. instead of you having to throw them out, mm. you go get them scanned and oh. then never look at them oh, again. Oh, like old home movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the file gets corrupted. <laughs> exactly. But oh. it's because I don't – yeah, I think – 
I think I realised that Will doesn't always keep them, keep some, but she chucks most of them out. And, yep. you know, I was, we're, came, came from a big card family. De- Mum and Dad always said to us, um, the most important, like, get me a present. They're not like presents don't matter, but the card, put effort into the card. That's the important bit. So you make it, it's really heartfelt. Mm. And then I think I found out that Will doesn't always keep them. So then it changed the way I write them. Oh yeah, because I'm like, well, if you go and if you or whoever, if it's if I was giving you a card, well, Bobby, I'm never going to give you a card. I realise no, that now. Yeah, well, I haven't got one yet, so I'm not expecting one anyway. <laughs> Christmas, maybe. But oh, it, yeah. does it influence the way Abby writes you letters or cards, knowing that you just burn them? No, why? No, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens this year. Now that I've <laughs> said that I've thrown them out, maybe mm. she thinks I still keep them. I didn't actually mention it to her. I just looked through and kind of felt a little bit guilty about it. The, re- the reception of the card <laughs> changes whether or not I provide a present the following year. Mm. Like if a kid, oh, say, yes. gets a card and it's like the last the, the last thing they open <gasps> or or even if they have to be reminded to open it, mm. it's like you yeah, have no idea <laughs> yes. how <you've> badly. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm still in the corner seething. <laughs> Just smoking. <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, what my, one of my nephews did one year, he was on his birthday and he was opening his card and first thing he was doing was tipping it upside down <gasps> and shaking oh, it. Wait. Disgrace. Isn't it? Mm. Yeah. We have, isn't it? This isn't the same next person. Mm. Oh. No, this is another one. No. <laughs> I, and I'm not naming any of them because there's six of them, so it could be any one and of them. Yep. Um, but no, this was a different <gasps> one. Tipping it up. Tipping it. I remember seeing it. I, I laughed. I'm just like, wow. And <laughs> my brother has just got, said the person's name. So, don't do that. It's like, why? I'm like, oh, mate. <laughs> I could not believe it. You know what I'd put in the card? Another card. Just oh. like, <laughs> you wanted something? I'll give you read this yeah, essay. And the second one just said, sucked in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So uh, now, because I, I obviously stress out uh, writing cards because no. I'm like, oh, if, if someone's going to keep this forever, it's got to be worth it. Yeah. And so I get, you know, performance anxiety or whatever <laughs> sometimes and, you know, you're doing drafts and suddenly you forget how to spell or you forget you reuse the same word a lot you get caught up yeah there's that there's kerning problems with the distance between letters there's spacing issues you're writing it and it goes the sentence goes up up because it doesn't fit well, so so if the cards and i was little would I'd, I'd have to like just squash all the letters in together so i'll start big and yeah. then end small yeah like a, damn it. Big like small. those <laughs> like those um those Optical illusions, those little doors, you know, <laughs> yes. you walk yeah. towards it. Because you never know. Because sometimes if you if you just start, you get into the swing of it. Mm, well, that's it. And then you have to cram towards the end. Yes. It's also about like when you – so I was used to writing card stuff to my family um, for Christmas and birthdays and stuff and then not realising that you have to kind of change change tack a bit depending on your audience. And I remember um, going to a friend's beach house and they had a guest book and I signed it, Love Always – like, you know, like wrote, oh, I had a great time at the beach. Love always, Mon. Not thinking anything of it because that's how I always sign. Yeah. And she brought it up for years. Why did you say love always? <laughs> mm. Really? Yeah, so not how giving her rude. any cards anymore. No, she doesn't Who did you say it. love always to? One of my closest friends, family, beach house guest book. Okay, well, yeah, it is a bit weird, I guess. But it was love like always. there. It wasn't like it was a rental. Yeah, so you're not declaring love for the house. No, I love all of you. Uh, all of you. All of you. I love all of you. Thanks for the yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. I think if you are going to go over sincerity and say love, the, the um, was it Johnny Famijon? Who was it? 
who was who said you know love is all or whatever. Oh, I don't know. I, yeah, well, it's a. I just find that yeah, you can undercut the love by saying use. Oh, <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Which love is what you I do. Is very yeah, exactly. Very full on. Um, someone has suggested that was it your nephew who tipped the cards upside down? Mm-hmm. Maybe they once lost money by throwing out a card. I think if you don't even open it, like if you're not taking time to read it, because mm. if you did, you'd, then you deserve to lose that money. Yes. So, like, I don't. You're giving. You're being very generous, giving the. the I think so. The benefit of the doubt there. My uh, nephew might have a mobile phone, and he's just texted me. <laughs> <laughs> it was Jeff Fennick as well, by the way. He said, "Love you all." Yeah, yeah. Uh, ah. But I, I genuinely, uh, with the cut, also when there is an audience, it's like, well, you're not, you don't have to just make them laugh. Like if it's a card that's going to go around. But then sometimes it doesn't. Oh, you mean it falls flat for everybody? No, no, like you see that it's like, oh, no, no, like it's personal. So I don't want to, I don't want to show you. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know what? This whole Bobby sticker idea too from, I think I'm on yeah, board with to, that yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Love is all. <laughs> and then get them printed. I'll just get a del- delivery driver and drop it off. <laughs> Triple Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasts, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or the Triple R website. <laughs>